dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. When it comes to leadership, I think you can learn as much from bad leaders as you can from good ones. It's certainly the case in the life of King Saul. King Saul ruled over Israel for 42 years, beginning when he was 30 years old, and his life spans the chapters in 1 Samuel 9 all the way to 1 Samuel 31. During his remarkable rule, his faults become more and more evident, and by studying them, we can learn to avoid them in our own lives. Welcome, everybody, to this study in the life of King Saul. I want to do this in four parts, and hopefully this will really help you in your leadership to both identify what makes for a good leader and learn what makes for a bad one. And hopefully we can avoid together the pitfalls that we see in the life of Saul because, man, he is such a blessed figure and has so much to offer and had such potential And he basically squanders it, going from one of the very first heroes in the history of Israel and finishing his life being known as one of its biggest failures. I think it's fascinating to study these lives of what I call the anti-leaders. We looked so far at Machiavelli as one. We looked at Sololinsky as one. And I want to look at King Saul as one because he had the title and the position of leader. He was the very first king over Israel in the history of Israel. He did many good and astonishing things. He had many talents behind his name. But in the end, he became an anti-leader, one whom it is said God regretted that he ever made king. And I think anytime you see in Scripture a passage where it says God regretted that this person had been a ruler over his people, it's worth noting why. So we can learn a lot about leadership in terms of what God expects from us by looking at Jesus, by looking at St. Paul, by looking at the great saints through the history of the church. We can understand what God can expect in in a theoretical way by studying the documents of Vatican II, reading Pachamit Terrace, and, you know, looking at all these different ways that the church has taught over years about leadership. But it suddenly becomes very clear when you study the life of a failed leader. And I want to be careful because King Saul, of course, had many victories. And King Saul, there's many things that is admirable about him. And we're going to look at all of those together. But I want us to be able to study where he failed because it's a very poignant example of things that I've noticed in your lives. Uh, being a priest who works with business people, I've seen that the, 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 the very characteristics that are in Saul's life are mirrored in your life as well. And I'd like, by pointing out where Saul failed, I'd like to be able to put you a little bit on guard about things that could, in the end, be areas of conversion for yourselves so that you can become the better leaders that Christ expects of you uh, and avoid these kind of downfalls. 
Um, remember, Scripture puts the failures of leaders, it doesn't hesitate, I guess, to talk about their failures. It talks about the failures of St. Paul to make converts over and over again in many different cities. It talks about the failure of St. Peter to stay consistent in his leadership, you know, even having it pointed out by St. Paul and their little fight written down for us, you know, in the letter to the Galatians. Um, you've got the failure of St. Peter three times with respect to denying our Lord in the Gospels. Um, you, you've got many different examples where the Bible doesn't hesitate to point out and to correct. And King Saul is one of them. If God took the time to have written down the failure of Saul it's as, in such graphic terms, well, it's so that we can learn from it. All right. So I want us to t approach this together then. And start us with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear God, as we approach the life of this great figure, King Saul, we ask you to give us light, to illuminate our hearts and our minds as to what you really expect of us, and the great call that is ours to be leaders in today's culture. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. John, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The life of, Saint, of, of King Saul, I want today to cover with you, especially what I call his rise to his fall. And that's a little bit of a play on words because obviously it's both. This is basically in 1 Samuel chapter 9 all the way through chapter 15 inclusive. And we're going to pick up immediately right after 15 with the anointing of King David in 1 Samuel 16. But in 9 to 15, it talks about the rising and the falling immediately of this young king. Um, he's 30 years old when he's actually anointed as king. Uh, we know little about him except that he was very tall. They said he stood a full head taller than anyone else. And it's interesting because at one point, Samuel actually points that out saying, have you ever seen his like in all of Israel, right? Like, in other words, complimenting his physical appearance. And that same Samuel, when it comes to First uh, Samuel chapter 16, and all of the sons of, of, of Jesse are brought forward, including David, he's going to want to anoint the handsomest one, who's the very first one. And it's, of course, told him, not as man sees, does God see. And I think it's interesting to see this prophet Samuel kind of like he, he doesn't hesitate to look at the physical and say that's a sign of God's leadership. Look at the natural capacities of things and want to bless it for the name of God. And when it comes to the king, it's simply not the case. Even though Samuel was the, 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 the most striking in his physical bearing, he ends up becoming a failure as a king. And David, who's nothing but a youth, comes forward and ends up becoming the greatest king in the history of Israel. So it's just kind of interesting. The story of Saul begins in chapter 8, 1 Samuel 8, when Israel asks for a king. And this is a really amazing quote. It's 8.6. Give us a king to lead us, says Israel, like other nations have. And this displeased Samuel very much. And so he ends up warning them. And he says, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. They will run in front of his chariots. He will assign, you know, he basically says, if you get a king, it's going to turn back for you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel, verse 19. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. 
So the whole situation of Saul's life, King Saul, the very first king of Israel, is rooted in this insistence of the people of Israel that they have a king like the other nations. Up until this time, as Samuel says this, he's, you know, as Samuel says to them, up until this time, God has been your king. You've, you've followed him and then your leaders have risen in different ranks, but in not a, the single unified head of Israel was God himself. And now you want a king so that you can be like other nations and that you can have a king to lead us and go out and fight our battles? Well, when Samuel heard all the people said, he repeated it to the Lord and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And so ends, ends up in chapter 9 that Samuel meets Saul. God tells him that he's going to meet Saul. He meets Saul. And in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? This is the rise of Saul. It's interesting. The, a couple points I want to bring out. Number one, that Saul's rise is at the hands of a religious leader. And we're going to see throughout the life of King Saul that he has a kind of reverence to Samuel as to a spiritual father, as to someone who is a reference point for him with respect to his walk with God. And that reverence which he owes to Samuel, he, it never leaves him. Even though Samuel condemns him, Samuel cuts him off, Saul remains always with this reference point that his greatness, his breakthrough, comes at the hands of Samuel, this revered prophet in Israel. And I think that that's a fascinating study, both in his psychology and also in truth, because the whole key to Saul's person is to remember that, Saul, you were doing nothing but chasing your father's donkeys when you stumbled upon Samuel. It's in chapter 9, so the whole story of Saul begins with him looking for his father's donkeys. The man is 30 years old, and yet he, and he stands a head taller than anyone else. But the greatest thing that he can seem to do is follow his father's donkeys looking for them. He's helping out on the farm, and he hasn't risen in any other spot. There's actually a line we're going to see later on where Samuel indicates to Saul that Saul was nothing even in his own eyes. He was little of account in his own eyes. So you've got a, a guy who's not super confident, who has not risen and excelled in his life, and he stumbles upon the prophet, and God tells him, this is the man that I've chosen. And so the prophet anoints him as king over Israel, and he suddenly rises. But the key to this whole thing is to remember this point. His leadership comes from God, right? Your leadership comes from God too. None of us have anything except something that we've received. None of us on our own can stand as having any merit before God. For all of us are flawed. All of us are fallen creatures. If we've been given power and authority to lead, it's been entrusted to us by God. And that keeps us in a humility that says, then therefore with my power and with my authority, I have to serve God glorify him on this earth by serving and governing and ruling over his people, but not without that reference point. We're going to see that Saul fights against that. And that same fight is going to bring about his downfall. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www 
www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So the very first thing we notice about King Saul is that everything that he has in his leadership comes to him from God. God just chooses him in, in his absolute freedom with no strings attached, just giving him this incredible grace to be his ruler, but he has to keep God's commandments. And I think this is an amazing moment for us to kind of reflect on that for us as well. Like, okay, so if God has given you the blessings of being in this great country, having received the education that you received, or having worked your way up through the ranks like you have, and the blessings of a terrific family, the terrific education, or even if you haven't had those blessings, the blessings inside that you have of the incredible spirit that somehow or other you have within you that has given you the key to the success that you now enjoy, let's always remember that it comes with a string attached, okay? Meaning that God is asking you to then use the blessings he's given you for his glory and to follow his commandments, that we can't be God's leader if in fact we don't follow him. Otherwise, if we're not following God, we're leading our people in our own footprints and in our own pathway and instead of in a pathway that gives them the life that God himself wants to give them. I think it's very important to, to keep this in mind, uh, that God, when he gives us authority like he gave to King Saul, he expects us to use that authority to govern his people well as his instrument. And right off the bat in his story, we see that he's challenged. Uh, Samuel says, this is in 1 Samuel chapter 10, right after anointing him, Samuel says to him, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you are to wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. This brings us to the very first challenge. And, and it shows us the weakness in Saul. You can find it in 1 Samuel 13. And verse 5, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped, okay? And so, and when the Israel saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and the pits and in cisterns. And so Saul remained there. And basically what happens is that Samuel ends up coming late. He's not on time. And the enemy is overwhelming in its number. So Saul takes things into his own hands and he offers the sacrifices and prayers to God for victory that Samuel had said he was going to offer. Now this might seem like a small thing, but actually it's indicative of a major fault line in Saul, one that he never overcomes and one that becomes his big downfall. Samuel was clear to him, if you are king, Saul, it is not because you are ter a terrific person and it's not because you somehow deserved it, it's because God in his grace has given you that incredible mercy and he expects you to stay humble with respect to him. If you stay humble, then you obey his teaching. And when you stay humble and you obey what I say, then all will be well for you. But you have to walk in that line of faith that says, hey, in the end, I'm doing my part, but I have to be in the hand of God. And what Saul does here is he takes his life out of the hand of God. He claims authority over it himself because, well, for good reason. The Philistines are huge. They're outnumbering him. They're going to attack. 
what Saul going to do? And what Saul does, he disobeys. And that shows a dramatic downfall that we need to avoid in our own leadership. God did not make me a leader so that then I do what I feel like I have to do. Uh, he made me a leader so that in all things, I lead the people by following God and what God tells us to do. So this is just a key moment in his life. And it seems like a small thing, but Samuel gets very upset. Verse 11, Samuel says, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, I went and comp I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command that the Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Well, who is that man? That's, of course, King David, right? And so here you're going to see just three chapters later, King David actually being anointed by Saul because God has left Saul. And, and again, you can say to yourself, this seems like such a small detail. Well, it, it is. It's a small moment, right? But it actually reveals a really fundamental crack in the heart of Saul. He's going to end up taking his authority and using it for himself. Instead of him staying submissive to God and following God, he claims it as if it was a title for himself. And guys, I know that you're thinking to yourself, that's not me. I'm not that way. And I just want you to be careful. Pride cometh before the downfall. And the fact is, if, you know, all of us, it's the natural temptation in any human being today because of our fall that we're going to have this temptation to think that because we have the power and authority, we are somehow or other better than the others. Yes, we are better in the sense that we have to lead. And yes, we can be better morally, etc. But at the same time, we don't have power and authority because we're better. We have power and authority in order to make us better. God, in other words, has called us into leadership to sanctify us by our leadership. And if we keep that in mind, then we stay humble. And the first thing that we try to do is serve God by leading in his footsteps and not just doing what we want to do. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. So King Saul lives this extraordinary life of generosity. I mean, in between all of his, you know, falls and dialogues with Samuel, he's out there attacking the enemies of Israel and winning battles and all of these, you know, wonderful things. And that, that underscores his strength. Saul is a young man, he's 30 years old, and he deploys his strength really in battle, fighting for the honor of Israel. And that generosity is winsome. The people love to follow him. There's a, a, a certain scene where he goes out in order to raise up an army to fight against the enemy of Israel. And he manages to muster 300,000 people from Israel and 30,000 from Judah. I mean, that's pretty, it's pretty impressive. You know, when Saul really puts himself to it, he's a charismatic figure who is able to fight and rouse against the enemies of Israel. 
Uh, there's another scene, for example, that's an important one here, and that's in 1 Samuel 14, when Jonathan takes the battle to the enemy and routs the Philistines, un, you know, and thanks to Jonathan, Israel wins the war. It's like, it's like a little bit of a symbol to us that what God expects from his leaders is that they do what he says, which is to play offense. And I think so many of us struggle with this because the tendency, especially today, is to want to play defense. We spend all of our time criticizing why things aren't the way that they should be, or all of our time blaming why, you know, why things went wrong and pointing our fingers, diagnosing all kinds of criticisms of our culture, of the world culture, of this person's motive, of that person's motive, instead of doing what we're supposed to be doing, which is riding out to evangelize, spread the gospel. And when you think about that with our business, it's a lot of it the same way. We're so terrified of someone taking away our business or so terrified of offending anybody by doing what God wants us to do that sometimes we end up undermining what we're supposed to be doing in the first place. Our businesses are opportunities for God to heal our broken nation through us. And the power that he's given us obviously with due respect for secular secularity and obviously with due respect for law and all of that but at the same time to the degree that we can to bear the ultimate influence that we can through our businesses in our world this is what god wants of us otherwise it's like israel here in, in you know just surrounded by another culture that wants to dominate israel and saul's not doing anything this is in first samuel 14 it takes Jonathan, who ends up saying, I'm just going to go out and attack them myself. And when he plays offense, everybody wins. The ultimate downfall here in Saul is when that first crack that we saw in him, where he takes control over the situation of his life instead of obeying God, becomes broad. And it's found in 1 Samuel 15. Samuel says to Saul, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Right? And he goes for a list of everything that Saul is supposed to destroy. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them, etc. And they, Saul attacks the Amalekites, verse 7. But in verse 9... Saul and the army spared Agag, who's the king, and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Now, why is this? Well, Saul's going to say, it's because I wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. What that means is <laughs> when you sacrifice to the Lord, you get to eat the stuff you sacrifice. So it means that Saul's like, hey, that stuff is good. Don't destroy that. We'll say we'll sacrifice it to the Lord. And that way we get to eat it. You see, he's kind of conniving. Instead of him being upright and saying, look, I'm nothing. And I'm just here to do what God tells me to do. That's my one job is to obey God. Saul's sitting here basically redefining the law, saying, well, if we sacrifice it to God, then we get to eat it. We don't want to let all this food go to waste after all. And that wasn't what he was told. God told him to destroy it. And Saul says, no, I'm going to do it my way. Why? Because I'm the king. You see, like what happens is he's subverting. 
his authority, claiming it basically for himself. Now people can label this as pride. People can label this as arrogance and they're both right. But in the end, it, 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 the word of the Lord came to Samuel in verse 11. I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Isn't that amazing? The, the heart of Samuel is pierced through because God is saying, I should never have made Saul a king. He has not obeyed me. Early in the morning, Samuel goes out and reaches him and ends up you know, confronting him. And Samuel says, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? It's an incredible statement. So in other words, it's like to remind us all, because what we all know that, hey, look, without God's blessing, how many of us would have made it as far as we've made it? Without God's blessing, without God, where would we be? Would you actually be any better than folks that you might be looking down on right now? I mean, there but for the grace of God go I. And, and Samuel is looking at Saul saying like, even in your own eyes, you were nobody, let alone in the eyes of others. And yet the Lord anointed you king over Israel and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? And, and Saul says, but I did obey the Lord. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agog, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle for the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. But Samuel replied, look, in fact, the problem is not that you're, not, you're doing a sacrifice. The problem is that you're dictating the terms of your own life. And I know this is hard for us because we, we, we kind of struggle. We say, well, why doesn't God just tell me what to do and I would do it? We can kind of feel cornered sometimes by God because he doesn't tell us exactly what to do. And then when we try to do things, we can actually make mistakes. And this is not what the problem is here with Saul. He was told exactly what to do. The problem with Saul was that he ends up dictating to God how he wants God to let him rule. And it's like so many of us, this is why he's an anti-leader and a great example for us. He ends up losing his leadership because he stops following. If you really want to have an authority and make an impact in the world, do it for God, do it with God. And that means do it under God by following God. Because you yourself are living in that wonderful balance, taking care of yourself first so that you can take care of those who have been entrusted to you. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.